Hello everyone and welcome to the Maximum Mental Health, the first line of defence. How's everyone doing? I hope you're well. So I'm Dave, I'm going to be your, your facilitator for today's, today's training. Part one, we're going to be looking at what is mental health, what influences our mental health, why we need mental health, the impact mental health has on every aspect of our life and interestingly enough those aspects can then influence our mental health so it's this cycle our mental health impacts our work and similarly our work can now and then affect our mental health and that happens in every facet of our life the last exercise we're going to be doing will be around stigma some of the stigmas surrounding mental health so the words that we use to describe people with mental health issues we'll be getting those out and getting past that and explaining a few of the reasons why we, we shouldn't be using terms like man up and all that kind of thing so we'll get into that part two this is really the, the crux of the training today for me part two is about self-care I use the analogy of when you're on an airplane and in an emergency, they'll ask you to put your, your oxygen mask on first before helping others. And that's kind of the same idea that I want to explain in, in part two. Our self-care has got to be on point. If we've not got our shit together, how can we, how can we look to help other people, other people in our family, our friends, in the workplace? So within this self-care, we're going to be looking at lifestyle, diet, exercise and all this. But not in a great detail, as there will be an accompaniment PDF, maximum health PDF for you to look through uh, and, and work through prior to, to listening to this, this Zoom training today. So I do advise you to read that before you take up this, this training. Within the self-care, we're going to be looking at changing states and how our perception will affect our decision. And our perception is based on our frame of mind and our state of mind. Within that, we'll be looking at anxiety, stress, and depression. When we look at part three, that's when we're looking at helping others. Not helping, helping each other as in being a trained professional, we'll be using peer support. So that comes down to emotional intelligence understanding how people's behaviors may have changed if they are starting to show mental health issues and how we can approach a subject of suicide and self-harm with those who we feel are at risk again we're not making you train professionals professional help has its place and it's essential for people with with chronic depression who are having suicidal thoughts but what can we do to help? Peer support, massive, being, a, being an ear for someone. Just listening to people. You, you, we'll get into it in the, in the training, but the power of understanding that someone's there listening, that you're not on your own and you're not going to be ridiculed is massive. So I hope you enjoy the training today and uh, let's make a start. Part one, 
what is mental health? Well, mental health, for me, comes down to the, the health of the mind. That sounds like an obvious thing to say, but the health of our thoughts, the health of our emotions, the health of our self-talk. What is mental health for you? So when I ask questions on this training course, I think it'd be useful if you had a pen and a pad handy, and I will offer um, some pauses so you can start to, to write down your ideas and that as well. Maybe if you just need to, to pause the, the program and then come back to it, just press play when you're ready and you've answered some of the stuff. But mental health is really how prepared are we to deal with life's pressures and life's stresses and the things that life throws at us, the events. Life is hard and our mental health is a factor in how we cope with those events and those stresses and strains and pressures which comes down to the, the health of our thoughts, the health of our emotions. So that for me is mental health. Words get banded around like resilience and resilience is an important word. But again, that is what mental health is, the resilience in how to cope with everyday events. Why do we need mental health? Well, we need our mental health we need health. We don't choose or choose not to have our mental health. We have a mental health and that can be good and that can be bad. And we need mental health to help us thrive through life. I'm going to use an interesting model to try and give you an idea of how we start to form our identity, which is based on things that have happened previously in our life. That will then be a factor in how we perceive new events, which may ultimately affect our mental health in the future. So when we look at our identity and the way we deal with life's events, Let's hope this works. Hey. So, from the ages of when we're born to roughly around 20, 18 to 20 years of age, life happens to us. Our brains are quite malleable. Neuroplasticity is a word that is used now where our brains, brains are, are molded. And experiences so events and experiences happen to us so information comes in events experience information comes in influences happen in our life they come in and through our filters and all our senses through the eyes through the ears these form an identity they form our identity okay and this happens from ages of zero to around 20 years of age okay so events happen and they form our identity they form our frame of reference as it's known frame of reference 
All right, so then everything that happens, we filter it through this frame of reference. So if we perceive it to be good or bad, we will continue to frame it in that way. Which is where you can start to see how if negative things are happening all the time and you, you're constantly negative or you, you've gone through some trauma, that can affect your frame of reference moving forward in later life. So an interesting thing happens, we form this identity. And after the age of about 20, this becomes fixed. Whereas before, it was quite malleable and we were growing and evolving and our brain was learning more and more and more and more adding to our identity, adding to our experiences, was at the age of around 20, it stops and it's fixed. With work, it can be, it can be challenged, it can be changed, but what tends to happen is we, we've already formed our identity by then. Now an interesting thing happens. When events or experiences happen after this age, we make those experiences fit our already fixed model of the world. So before the age of 20, for example, things happen, they add to our identity. After this age, things happen and they don't change our identity. We make them fit our model of the world already. So we already have a fixed model of the world. We make events fit our view. All right, does that make sense? I hope it does because it's important to understand now from that, this point on, when we make decisions and events happen and we perceive those events, we're making those events fit our model of the world. Those events aren't adding to our model of the world. They're not adding to our identity. They are actually, we're making those events fit our model of the world. So you can extrapolate from that and understand that if the event is happening, what is really happening? We're only seeing it through our lens, through our frame of reference. So that's an important model to understand when we go forward into this decision-making model and changing our state. So the next thing we're going to look at is understanding stigma. When we look at stigma surrounding mental health, it's always the elephant in the room. It's always look at people who have got poor mental health the words that come out that are used are obviously are always negative so now i want you to take a little time now just to write down some of the words that you may have used yourself that you may have heard other people use when we talk about mental health we have words like soft we use words like crazy psycho 
I know it says physio, but you get what I mean. Psycho. Weird. Schizo. What are the ones that you think of? A pussy. Man up. He's a bit odd. He's a freak. All these words have negative connotations. There's loads more that we could we could throw at throw at this. And you probably come up with a few different ones than I have, maybe worse ones. This is just to try and understand that it's these words and these stigmas are the number one reason why men and women struggle to talk about any issues or the feelings or their emotions. The fear of failure, the fear of being outed from the tribe, the fear of not fitting in, the fear of being ridiculed are ingrained in our DNA way back to when we were hunter-gatherers. And to just say someone, to say to someone to just man up is the number one reason why when people think there's no way out, there's no other options available to them, they've got no support, they, they take the ultimate decision to, to end their own life. We need to understand the language that we're using and the negative impact it has. But understand this. There are going to be times when you are going to be made to feel uncomfortable and you are going to have to do the work. But just to use a throwaway line to just fucking man up is not useful. Yes, people are going to have to do the work. They are going to have to make themselves feel uncomfortable. They are going to have to step out of that comfort zone. But with support, with help, with coping strategies, with a plan, with small incremental steps, and in the knowledge that there's people there to support them if they do fall back, then we can start to help. But to just use comments like, man up, get on with it, you just gotta get on with it and do it, it's not enough. And that is why we are seeing the massive epidemic in people taking their own lives. So, whether you hear people using this language or whether you use this language yourself, understand that the act of talking about your issues is a form of resilience and forms part of a coping strategy and forms part of self-care, which we're going to touch on in, in part two, is essential. We are seeing an epidemic now in young men and young women taking their own lives Sorry, my screen's just gone off. We are seeing this epidemic because of the negative connotations of, of the language that we use. Understand that it's like a bottle of pop. If you continue to shake that bottle and 
increase the pressure and increase pressure and increase pressure. There's only one way it can go. It's going to explode over time. Nothing's going to happen. And all of a sudden, it's just going to go boom, bang and explode. Now, your mind can be like that. The more pressure, the more life throws at it. If you've not got an outlet, and i.e. one outlet is talking about your problems, over time, that is going to compound and increase and increase the pressure. And eventually, we see the results of this where people think they've got no options, they've got no way out. The fear of being ridiculed for these negative comments, the stigma involved in it is why people don't talk and that pressure cooker builds, explodes. And that's why people look to take their own lives because they think there's no way out, there's no support. So let's think about our language and the stigma involved in mental health. We're going to discuss it more in part three. But we're going to touch on it now, these stigmas involved, the language that we use. So I hope that makes sense for the first part. Remember, our mental health affects everything in our life. It's integral. How we view change, how much we get out of our comfort zone, how much we're willing to take chances. It affects our relationships. So remember, events happen and influence our identity and our frame of reference. After around the age of 20, when events happen, we make them fit our model of the world. So it's about changing our perceptions. And we're gonna to touch on this in part two. So we'll see you there, thank you. Welcome back to Maximum Mental Health, the first line of defense. So we're going to look at part two. Part two, again, for me, is the most important part of this, of this course. And it's all about self-care. The analogy that I used in the introduction was when you're on an airplane and in case of an emergency, they will always say, put your oxygen mask on first before helping other people. During my career in the Ministry of Defence Police, when we were doing um, CBRN training, which is anything to do with chemical warfare, radiation and nuclear and all that kind of stuff, or a gas attack, you put your respirator on before you start helping others. And the analogy works with self-care. If our mindset if our mental health, our mental well-being isn't on point, how can we then look after other people? Maybe we have people who rely on us, our kids, our parents, our husband, our wives. If our shit's not together and our mental health is not on point, our self-care, then how can we, how can we help others? Again, as an accompaniment to this 
this training you should be able to have access to the maximum health worksheet so this should be um, a PDF that you've got access to and in here we work work through exercise healthy eating sleep there's a whole brilliant resource available in this PDF loads of information more detailed than what we can discuss in this training today but it'd be good if you read through this and had an idea of some of the stuff it talks about before you take up this training because this training will talk about the changing your state and we're talking about anxiety stress and depression but the self-care aspect of it a lot of it will be discussed in this pdf so when i refer to having your sleep improved healthy eating making bad food choices this pdf will explain what is a better food choice all right brilliant resource fantastic So we're going to be looking at self-care, anxiety, stress, and depression. And I'm going to ask you to do some work for me as well. So let's get into it. So all part two is all our self-care. Life has a habit of, of getting in the way a lot of the time. We have lots of different times in our life when things can happen, when stress happens, when things happen that we're not accounting for. We could be changing jobs, we could be moving house, kids, responsibility of kids, maybe looking after parents, looking after grandparents. Then the car breaks down. All these things create stress in our life. Now, when these things create stress, we will need to make sure that our our life is is balanced so we have our physical mental well-being we'll discuss more of these in a minute but our environment our emotional resilience so let's look at self-care in a little bit more detail so when we talk about self-care we're talking about a whole holistic program we're talking about our physical health so our lifestyle again sleep food choices we know that food can affect our mental well-being how much alcohol are we drinking how much sleep are we getting so we're trying to find basically balance across all aspects of our life 
physical, emotional, financial, social, emotional, all the Lees. So all the words that end in Lee, we're trying to find a balance amongst all of those. We know the scenarios when, say you're hungover, so you've created stress, you've you've had a few beers the night before, a few shots, a few shorts. How does that make you feel in the morning? Yeah, one night every now and again isn't going to do you any harm. But when it comes to making decisions, that's going to have an impact. If you're dealing with a lot of stress, maybe that one night drinking leads to two nights, leads to three nights, leads to four nights. Creates a cycle, negative thoughts, negative behaviors, more stress, more anxiety, leads to more drinking, more bad decisions, bad food choices. You imagine after that scenario, what your mental well-being is going to be like. That's an example of self-care. Take a few, take a few minutes now, whether you pause the video, what do you have in your self-care package? What is your self-care routine? What's your morning routine? Have you got a morning routine? What sets you up for the day? What gives you balance when you wake up in the morning? Or do you not have a self-care routine? Do you get up, coffee, straight out? How does that set you up for the day? If you rush to the office, you've woke up, you've not really took control of the day, you're in a rush, you're not on time, you've not got no food prepped for your dinner, for your tea, so that means you're going to take an easy option and maybe grab a, um, a microwave meal. All because there was no routine, no structure in place. This is what self-care is about, having routines, having structures to stop the cycle of anxiety, of stress and depression. Again, when we look at stress, the sources of stress, life events, physical stress, environmental stress, your place at work, people at work can cause stress. So it's even more integral that once you finish work and you've come home, you've got self-care. Do you finish work, go straight to the pub, get a takeaway for tea, late in bed? What is the self-care? It's important to factor in times in the day when maybe you sat by yourself reading a book or that little half an hour duration when you take the dog out for a walk. Maybe some breathing exercises. Again, utilize that PDF handbook. It's an amazing resource. It can go into greater detail on some of the stuff we're discussing here. So it's all about our lifestyle, basically. Having a balanced lifestyle. So now you imagine when decisions have to be made, if you've got self-care on points, 
you can make better decisions. You'll be in a better frame of mind. A better state to make better decisions. So we're going to just discuss this briefly. And then we're going to go and dive into anxiety, stress and depression. I want to try and get this, this idea across to you. So remember the model that we used in the previous session, part one. So in part one, we used the model that your identity is formed by your, your informative years, so from zero to around 20. Information comes in, life events happens, experience happens, they create your identity. After the age of 20, this becomes fixed. Events that happen, you make the events fit your fixed frame of reference. So you make events fit your identity. Events don't change your identity. You make events fit your model of the world. So now you have your model of the world. This is your world. This is the world that you live in. Events happen. You make the event fit your model of the world. The old cliche. Is the glass half full? Is the glass half empty? It's the same glass. I might see it as full, you might see it as empty. That's my model of the world that makes the glass half full. Your model of the world, based on the events that have happened in your life, you've seen events, it's always a half empty event. You change the event to fit your model of the world, all right? So I see the glass as half full, but because of everything that's happened in your life and your influences, the experiences, it's fixed now. Everything is always empty. So even though I see it as full, you've changed the event to fit your model of the world. So in your model of the world, the glass is hot, always half empty. Okay? So it's always empty. So when you make decisions, you make decisions based on your perception. And your perception of the world is what you've created, your perception, all right? So let's, let's go through this. An event happens. Something happens, you get a new car, you get off to a new job, 
you're going through some sort of change in your routine, you may be having kids, anything, any change, an event happens, something happens in your life. And we have a perception. We have a perception of what happened. And this perception is based on our model of the world. Okay? Our model of the world affects the perception, how we perceive events that happen. So from that perception, we then form a decision. We make a decision on what to do based on our perception of the world, our perception of that event. Is it good or bad? That forms our decision. And then we take action. We do whatever we decide to do. So the event happens, our perception of the event leads us to make a decision based on our perception. And then we take action. Our perception of the world will depend on our state. Our state at the time of the events happening. So an event happens, our perception of the event, because I'm in a good state, I'm buzzing, I've had my self-care, so I've looked after myself today, I've got loads of energy, I've got a good outlook, I've got a positive mindset, I've got a growth mindset, an event happens, my perception of that event, based on my state, is good, it's healthy. My perception is a balanced perspective. So I make a decision. Decision is going to be 100% a great decision because my perception's on point and the state I was in was fantastic. So I take action. That is probably going to allow me to thrive. Allow me to make a good decision, a good decision based on the previous information. Now, what do them three things have in common? They are all states. They're all states of mind, or sometimes known as frames of mind. The expression stressful state is in a state of depression, a state of anxiety. 
So my perception of the world is based on the state of mind at the time of an event happening. Does that make sense? An event happens, we perceive that event based on the state of mind in that moment. And from that, we can then make a decision, good or bad, and after the decision, we take action. But it was all based on our perception of what happened, our state of mind at the time. So let's look at anxiety. Describe anxiety. Tell me some symptoms of anxiety. So, panic. Fast breathing. I'm going to go into a little bit more depth on the breathing. I'm going to say vertical breathing so everything's up high in your body you're breathing into your neck you're breathing into your upper chest so i'm going to say vertical breathing we'll, we'll come back to that what else what else is a, a is a sign of anxiety erratic behavior maybe Anything else? What about your body language? What is your body language going to be? Jerky movements. Any more? What about the language that we use? What about the language? What do we say? I'm anxious or we might say my anxiety what else might we do if we're anxious generally anxiety is worrying about future events A future that hasn't even existed yet and we we can have all kind of we can catastrophize we can think of worst case scenarios on a future that hasn't even happened we can create this anxiety and we can also create anxiety by worrying about the past In other words, things that are out of our control. Worrying about things we can't control. The future doesn't exist yet. We can't change the past. So any other kind of symptoms with anxiety? 
let's look at stress. It's going to be pretty similar. If you're stressed out, Any more for stress? Again, kind of panicked. What are you thinking about when you're stressed? Maybe all the things you've got to do, all the tasks you've got to do that day. What's the breathing like for stress? Again. Hyperventilation. Can't control your breathing. Maybe a flushed complexion. What about depression? What does depression look like? So someone's in a low mood. Always being negative. Maybe they don't get involved in activities that they normally would. What about they lose touch with friends and family? Maybe they don't sleep very well. What about the body language for depression? What immediately comes to mind when you think of the body language to do a depression? Hunched shoulders. Yeah, bowed head. Anything else? Anything else come to mind? And what the language of depression? The language of depression is that you can't, you can't see any good in anything. Can't see any good in anything. So we've discussed the stress, anxiety, and depression. Now let's go back. Hopefully now a light bulb moment's gonna go off. It did for me when I heard this. This is heavily influenced by the chip paradox, Paul Mort's work, and Will Storr, the science of storytelling. 
I think at the end of this train, I think I will, we will put together a further reading list because it's fascinating some of the stuff that you can read into this a little bit more. But this is based on those those works, and I heard this delivered to me on a training. Massive light bulb moment, and I'm hopefully that's going to happen to you as well in a minute. So what we've just described there, depression, anxiety, and stress. Are all states of mind and what did we say a state will affect your perception which will affect decisions that you make which will affect your life your actions so a state It's made up of three things. A state has physiology, i.e. a body language, depression. What is our physiology and depression? Hunched shoulders, bowed head, bad posture, labored breathing, what is our physiology of anxiety? Panic, jerky movements, forced complexion, <laughs> hyperventilating, upper body breathing. All these are physiologies. A state has a language. What's the language of depression? There's no good. Everything's miserable. Everything's down. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. What is the language of anxiety? The language of looking into a future that doesn't exist. The language of worrying about a past that you can't change. And the last one a state has an attention, it has a focus. So anxiety, the focus is on a future that doesn't exist. It's on worst case scenarios. It's on what ifs. It's based on deletions, distortions, and generalizations. What is the focus on depression? The focus is that no good can ever come of anything. Maybe the language is, the attention is focused on that you are no good. There's an attention, there's a focus. And the good thing is, the light bulb moment, is we can change our state by changing each one of these things. Again, 
refer to the mental health workbook on the PDF that we've give you before starting this training. But we will go into a little bit of detail about how to change each one. I hope that helps and I hope that makes sense. But that's a powerful lesson. It was for me anyway. So our state affects our perception. And our perception will ultimately affect our decisions and our actions, which is our life. Our life is a series of decisions and actions. So this is all to do with self-care. So let's briefly take a look at our physiology. Let's get our posture right. Good posture, upright posture, not slouched over. What about our breathing? The majority of us are incorrect breathers. I only found this out a few weeks ago. A lot of our a lot of us are mouth breathers. And there's a lot of research now that shows we should be breathing through our nose, some nasal breathing. The nose is an amazing, amazing organ that can act like a filter system for the air that we're breathing in. Gets rid of all sorts of bits and bobs. Bear with me, we've stopped sharing. So the nose is an amazing organ when we look at nasal breathing. So I want to try and just get this screen back. There we go. So try nasal breathing. So what I want you to try and do, keep your mouth shut, good posture, and breathe in for five to six seconds through the nose, and then five to six seconds out. So breathe in for five to six seconds, breathe out for five to six seconds. What that means is that roughly you're going to be breathing five to six times per minute. Five to six times per minute lowers the blood pressure, lowers heart rate, and is also the same time the Ava Maria prayer in Catholicism, it's the same time that we use a mantra in transcendental meditation. That breathing rate is gonna bring down your anxiety, it's gonna slow down your thought process, it's gonna give you time to gather your thoughts. So let's start breathing correctly. On another note, on breath work, We want to be looking to breathe in our diaphragm. So when we talk about anxiety and the state of anxiety, 
all the breath, all the breathing is up into our necks. Even on camera, you can see my shoulders moving up and down as I breathe through the upper chest. We breathe through the diaphragm, so through the nose, and really push out your stomach as you're breathing. This helps work the diaphragm. An amazing muscle that we don't really that we don't really utilize. Breathing using our diaphragm stops this, this movement of the muscle because everything is a lower body breath. It's known as breathing vertically rather than breathing sorry, breathing horizontally rather than breathing vertically. Everything in the neck, hyperventilation. It's not efficient breath work. And that's how we can become panicked. And we can actually, through the act of not breathing correctly, we can create our own anxiety. Again, I can't, I can't emphasize this enough. Anxiety, stress, and depression are states. We create them. We create them through physiology. We create them through attention and focus. And we create them through our language, worrying about the future, dwelling on the past. So we're just gonna briefly look at our attention. We are what we focus on. What we focus on is us. We are our intentions. If we are constantly thinking negative thoughts and negative self-talk, that's gonna affect our actions, our thoughts, our emotions, our behaviors, our actions, our decisions, so we are what we focus on. So how can we create a better state? Here's something. So I, I do this. I don't know if anybody else feels the same way, but the first five minutes before you wake up in the morning, there's a lot of negativity. I don't want to get out of bed. I'm tired. So what's the first thing that you might do on getting up in the morning? Grab a cup of coffee, sit and watch a bit of news, grab your phone, look at Facebook, look at Instagram. So what, what is that doing? That's creating already a lot of negativity, negative energy. The news is negative, skirmongering. Your phone, Facebook, social media is full of comparison people's perfect lives people spouting hate the coffee's a stimulant puts you in a heightened state of awareness to all this negative information what if you changed your morning routine and you put your attention and things that were going to make you feel amazing to put you in an optimal state for then to go and deal with the world 
how could you do this? So a little exercise, I want you to write down 15 things that make you feel good. Not good, they make you feel great. One little, one little um, caveat. You can't put your wife, and you can't put your kids, or your husband. Got to work a bit harder. All right. Fifteen things. I've done fifteen things because when I carried out this exercise, once you get past five, it starts getting a little bit difficult. So you've got to dial down into it. You've got to think about it. You got to do the work. For me, it was things like sitting in the garden, watching the watching the the veggie patch grow. Watching a bee take pollen from a plant. Seeing my dog run on a beach. A song, a Noel Gallagher song. Playing a D chord on a guitar. Things like that. Dial down into it. Once you've got these things sorted in your head, focus on them things. Focus on them things first thing in the morning. To put yourself in a good state. Why wouldn't you want to start off the day in a good state? Again, to go back to the original idea behind this topic today, self-care. Why wouldn't you want to feel fucking great in the morning when you wake up? So those things that you've put down, how could you implement them? And use them as little strategies during the day that if you're feeling a little bit down, if you um, if you want a little time out, correct your posture, correct your breathing, breathing into the diaphragm, not into the upper chest or the throat. Five to six seconds in through the nose, five to six seconds out. Listen to a song on your iPod or your iPhone. Take like a five-minute walk outside. Look up at the sky. Whatever it is that is on that that happy list, use those coping strategies. And that's how we ultimately look to take care of ourselves. Again, this is this is heavily influenced by a lot of the books and the the things that I've listened to, and it's stuff that I do. I'm not telling you to do stuff that what hasn't worked for me. This is stuff that works for me. On a day-to-day -day basis, Paul Moore says it best when he talks about creating and protecting energy. So what we've just done there with that little exercise, writing down 15 things that make you feel good, make you feel great. We're creating energy. We're creating states. We're creating states through physiology, through language through attention and focus. That are gonna affect how we see the world on a daily basis. And if we can see the world through a growth mindset and now things are opportunities and opportunities for growth rather than negative, negative events, We'll make better decisions. 
and our actions and therefore our life will improve dramatically. I hope all that makes sense. What I want to just, just take the time to do briefly So this idea of self-care, it's integral. Look after yourself, create energy, but protect it. How many opportunities during the day that do you have where utilizing energy that you've not got to give, that deplete you of this energy? You've got your mood hoovers in work. You've got the news, the negativity on the news. You've got Facebook, social media. They all have their place and there is good that can come of them. A lot of time we take on board these negative negative influences and they drain of us drain of drain us of energy energy that we can utilize to put ourselves in better states so where we're not getting in states of anxiety we're not stressed and we're not experiencing depression now in the next section we're going to be looking at other people and how we can help other people, but it's important that we have this self-care down. But we're helping other people, looking at suicide, looking at self-help, sorry, not self-help, um, self-harm, and how we can look to help people who, are, who may be experiencing these, these issues. I hope that makes sense. Hope you enjoyed part two. And I hope that light bulb went off. And we'll see you soon. Hello everyone, so we're looking at part three. So part three of the course, we spoke last time about self-care and getting our own, our own mental health on point. And now we can start looking at other people. To really help others and we're not trained professionals there is a place for for trained professionals and if someone is experiencing some of the issues that we're going to be talking about suicide thinking about suicide experiencing with self-harm you have an obligation to to really tell someone about it i know they they might tell you in confidence but it is a serious issue and we really need to be reporting that especially if it's in the workplace or with children obviously the safeguarding issues all come into play and professional help is there for a reason but as colleagues as friends as parents we're there for peer support and it's really important to get that point across peer support that's not judging just because you can't get your head around what the individual's doing try and understand 
even though it may be impossible for you to understand the reasons why people may inflict harm on themselves and be contemplating taking their own life. Try and understand, offer support. Ultimately, be there to support them whilst they seek professional help. My own experience, I helped to facilitate for 18 months a men's talking group. You may have heard of Andy's Man Club, it's a charity that provides environments, informal environments where men from all different walks of life, can go without any judgment, without any stigma, sit and talk if they wish to. They can also just listen, talk about any problems that they've been having, anything that's on their mind that they want to get off the chest. And once everyone's had an opportunity to tell people how they've been, how they're feeling, there's then an opportunity for people to relate to their own experiences how they coped with it so it's not telling people what to do it's using shared experiences one of the most powerful things for me when i was facilitating this this group and i also used it for my own mental well-being as well sharing things getting things off my chest if i was having any issues any stresses one of the most powerful things that i got from it was that some men would turn up and we can, I'm using men as an example, but this whole program is for men and women. Men would turn up, listen to what other people were talking about and the struggles they were having. And we would never see them again after the two hours. That would be the last time we've seen. And initially I was taking it personally that there was something we could have done more, we could have done better. And it was only after six seven months that this pattern pattern continued every so often and on on review and on on reflection some people just wanted to know that they weren't alone in what they were feeling they weren't the only ones who were going through a, a divorce and felt like they wanted to take their own life or they'd lost their job and they felt worthless and they turned to drink and drugs. Or they were having financial worries and they were considering thoughts of suicide. Or because of early trauma in their early childhood, they were cutting themselves and covering it up. Ultimately, all we could do was support, listen, without judgment, ask questions. We're going to come into the, the myths around asking questions shortly. We listen without judgment. We offer shared experiences if we can relate to what people are going through. And we gave all the correct signposting information if they wanted to seek extra help. 
and we made sure they didn't leave. And we felt like they weren't going to be in danger when they left. So we're looking at peer support in part three. So let's look at suicide. Now suicide. What what would you think that some of the behaviours are of someone who's who's contemplating suicide or who's who's having suicidal thoughts? Write some down now. The behaviour may surprise you, it may not. So very often we can we can report that people are kind of withdrawn. They don't really communicate with family or friends. They've they've lost touch, they've lost distance. They're not really engaging in the activities that was that there was previously. Similar to depression. They've withdrawn. There's that withdrawn kind of withdrawing themselves from life, so not really leaving the house, not engaging with friends or family, not doing normal activities. So this is where the responsibility of whether you're a friend or an employer or a colleague, having emotional intelligence and trying to have that awareness of how people are feeling. Are they, are they acting the same way that they normally would do? Or are they acting a little bit different, maybe erratic, maybe a bit low? Is this happening for a while? Is it over a prolonged period of time? And then let's ask the question, are you okay? Do you want to talk about anything? You know what it's like with that hung up on ourselves and our own issues and problems and we see people at work or in the streets or catch up with friends and we go, how you doing your night? And people just nonchalant answer, yeah, I'm not too bad, thanks. It's just a script that we use on interaction with other people. But actually mean it. Check in on a regular basis with people. How are you doing? How's everything with you? Tell me how you're doing. Explain to me how you're doing. I've noticed a bit of change in your behaviour. Is everything all right? So having that emotional intelligence, understanding if someone's a little bit low or that there's a change in behaviour, and ask the question. One of the biggest myths when we talk about suicide is that the word, if you mention the word suicide, to someone that is going to make them immediately think about trying to hurt themselves or trying to take their own life. That's not the case. There's been many instances where running the, the workshops that we ran, that we've, we've asked the question, have you thought about taking your own life? Have you thought about hurting yourself? Sometimes the answer is no, no, I've not, I've not had them kind of thoughts. And sometimes the answer is yes, I have thought about it. In which case we've had to contact family members and friends 
and sometimes even the police. But the question, you asking the question, is not going to make things worse. So if there is someone who, who you think they may be having those kind of thoughts and you can see a noticeable change in the behaviour, again, withdrawing from life, withdrawing from friends and family, not participating in normal social activities, not returning calls, not answering texts, these kind of behaviours, a real low mood, a self of, a, a sign of worthlessness, that's what people might start to feel. That there's no outlook, there's no positive outlook. How are you? Tell me how you're feeling. Is everything okay? Have you had thoughts about hurting yourself? Have you thought about suicide? Have you been thinking about suicide? Asking the question is not gonna make things worse. Now let's look at self-harm. Now let's look at self-harm. Self-harm also carries quite a bit of stigma with it as well. It's important to understand with, with self-harm, and it's reported that a lot of younger adults are now experimenting with self-harm, whether that's to, to conflict with the pain of, of trauma in their early childhood, as a, as a mask for deeper emotions again seek professional help as peer support with their force support emotional physical and mental support but it's important to understand with with self-harm that it's not attention seeking people band around this this phrase or just attention seeking you may not be aware but a lot of people who do self-harm actually go to great lengths to hide the injuries that they sustain from other people. So that might be long sleeve t-shirts constantly in summer, in roasting hot heat. They'll be just wearing a jacket, a jumper. So these are the patterns to maybe, or behaviors to look out for that if it's really hot, people might have long trousers on. They may have long t-shirts, they may have jumpers. They may never really like expose any skin but it's not attention seeking. Another important thing to understand is that is a coping strategy for that individual. And self-harm, it may be alien for you to get your head around, but for the people who are self-harming, it's a coping strategy and they may be doing that. It's not an attempt of suicide. They may be using self-harm as a tool to prevent them from, from taking their own life. Obviously, someone who does self-harm is more of a risk of suicide because of the injuries they could sustain. 
if they went too far in the in the self-inflicting injuries. However, it is not always seen as an attempt at suicide. People who self-harm will also have a routine. There'll be a certain setting, set and setting for when they will administer the however they, they self-harm. Again, self-harming could be burning, slicing. It could be blunt trauma. There's all different kinds of self-harm. But again, sit down, empathize, try and understand. Do not judge them. Seek medical professional help, but do not try and remove the means to self-harm, as that may be their coping strategy. And without that, they may go on to do something far worse. That's an important distinction to understand. For example, say say a young adult is, is cutting herself. If I move the means for her to cut herself because I think I'm doing the right thing by taking the, the instrument off the individual, then that's a coping strategy for that individual. She may go out, find something else. Or because that's her coping strategy, she may, which is stopping the individual from attempting suicide, that may lead to that. It's, an, it's important to understand that do not take away the means. Although that's going to be really difficult, and I understand this is not an easy thing, an easy topic to talk about. But do not try and take away the, the thing that is being used. And again, do not judge. Ask the questions. Find out as much information as you can. And empathize, try and understand what is going on. So it boils down to relay the the main takeaway for me is understanding the people around you, emotional intelligence, understand how people behave and notice a change in behavior. Notice if people are being a bit more withdrawn. Notice if they're down and make contact, ask the question. Is everything all right? How are you feeling? Are you okay? Notice whether individuals are maybe covering up in summertime. Don't try and remove and take away what the person uses to self-harm. And you may have to seek professional help and report the information to family members, even to the police.
it might be hard and you might not want to have to do it but it's to preserve life you are doing the person a favor you are helping them by reporting it to the police or a medical professional they are difficult topics to discuss and talk about we are seeing a rise especially in the northwest of young men and young women taking their own lives for many reasons but ultimately they feel like there's no way out there's no other options they may not have a great support network around them so it's down to colleagues maybe friends even community neighbors ask the question is everything okay how are you doing and it's okay to ask the question have you been having suicidal thoughts have you thought about suicide have you thought about harming yourself do you harm yourself these phrases are not going to make it worse So I hope you've enjoyed and took some information and it was interesting for you. Again, I would I would really recommend that you read through the, the maximum mental health PDF that goes deeper into some of these issues. Maybe not the, the mental health side, but certainly the self-care in terms of lifestyle, sleep, diet, exercise. It also looks at self-talk behaviors and it'll show you how to set goals. But ultimately everyone, thank you for watching this. I hope you take something away from it and let's look out for each other. Have the emotional intelligence to know if someone's not the usual self and ask the question not as a script as an interaction when you meet someone but really have an interest really be genuine with your questions how are you is everything all right be genuine so that concludes this maximum mental health training the first line of defense again we tried to replicate our version of the mental health first aid And the first aid aspect is getting ourselves on point, really understanding our own mental health, our own self-care, and maintaining a balance in our life to help us build more resilience so we can deal with the, the stresses and the strains that life throws at us. And it's also important that we have the emotional intelligence to understand when people are the usual selves and they're feeling low. We don't have to try and be a professional. We don't have to be trained to care about other people and understand if they're feeling a little bit low or they've got stuff going on 
someone there to listen, to try and understand, and ultimately offer support, peer support in those situations. Don't judge. Offer support. From my own experiences, a lot of the time, the people you, you, you are helping don't want you to help them as in offer suggestions what to do. They just want to know that you're there and supporting and that you can kind of understand what they're going through. To understand that they're not on their own. So I hope you've enjoyed today's training. Hope you got something out of it. Please, please, please check out the further reading list. Again, the training course is heavily influenced by insights that I've had through the years, through working with Maximum Edge, through reading, through podcasts. So please take advantage of some of this further reading if you're really interested in some of the topics we've discussed. On top of that, you've got the amazing resource, the Maximum Health PDF that you got as part of this training package. Loads of details in there about diet, sleep, all around health and well-being. And also utilize the podcasts on the Maximum Edge website. Loads of free content, free resources, loads of different conversations to help build a positive mindset, a better outlook, and better mental health. So hopefully, I might get to meet you face to face at some point.